There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, welcome to season three of My First Time, a mostly sexy sex podcast from Broadly. My name is Zing Sing. Well, I had tried to, I guess you would say, have sex with Rainbow Birch in whatever way a child can have sex with a tree (laughs) or human can have sex with a tree. Today on My First Time... Have you ever been spanked by a tree branch? Hi, my name is Genevieve, and I'm going to talk about my first romantic, sensual relationship with a tree. Isn't it wonderful walking into your favorite natural spot, hiking across the Grand Canyon, rambling through the Lake District, or sailing across to a Greek island? It's so easy to fall in love with the great outdoors. But what happens if your love for nature turns into a genuine romance? Our guest today, Genevieve Bellavo, describes herself as an ecosexual, or more specifically, an eco-fetishist. Genevieve grew up in Minnesota. She had a regular childhood, and it was totally dull. Her love of the countryside started when she was young. This is her story. up in the woods of Minnesota, of northern Minnesota. So it was like a 30-minute drive to sort of get anywhere. So I spent a lot of my like summers as a kid with nothing to do but be in the woods. We had, you know, two stations on the TV, so I didn't spend a lot of time watching TV. I kind of just was left to my own devices and my own imagination. And um, my parents have these acres of swamp land that I spent a lot of time exploring. And playing pretend on and imagining and trying not to, you know, go insane being bored as a child. My mom is like a naturalist and an environmental educator is a big part of her background. And then my dad spent a lot of time taking us on walks and trying to get us to just like be still in the woods and like sit and listen to the trees. Stuff that I really didn't understand as a kid. But today I'm very, very grateful that that I had those experiences. For Genevieve, there was a particular part of the woods, a tree that stood out from all the rest. There's this little 
patch of land. It was the driveway that led up to our house, a little patch of land that I kind of just fell in love with. And I named it Fern Gully after the <laughs> famous Don Bluth cartoon about rain, rainforest deforestation. Really mossy, like covered in ferns. Like I think if it was like a really wet season, there'd even be like a tiny little stream running through it. Just like this very magical place. And there's this tree that was kind of up on this. It almost looked like there had been another tree there that had fallen over at some point, rotted, a bunch of moss had grown up around it, and then another tree had grown out of it, which happens kind of like when you like trim a plant and then another shoot comes out. So this was this tree that had come out of like a much older, older tree, like this new shoot. It was a birch tree. I don't know exactly what kind of birch. But it had, like, when you peeled the bark back, like, an, a rainbow, like, a pastel rainbow color to its bark. And it was just, like, entrancing as a child to find this rainbow-colored tree. I fell in love with this tree, and I just liked to visit it. I liked to be around it and spend time with it. It was almost like being in love with, like, a friend or something. You know, like a childhood friend who just felt, like, affection and care for. I actually remember introducing rainbow birch to one of my childhood friends who lived down the road being like this is this amazing tree and I think we carved or tried to carve our initials in it together like it was something I just really wanted to share with this other person who I loved and like show and and I it, it was it was that a thruple was I in a thruple with a tree and my best friend I don't know now oh and by the way a thruple is basically a three-way relationship I just felt like a deep affection and care and I guess in a sense like reverence for this tree it's something that was just very like intangible feeling of love this particular tree I think there were other trees in the woods that I had like I was drawn to I had like an affinity for but this one was just like I mean it had a rainbow bark I was like what is this thing you know listening to Genevieve the idea of falling in love with a tree is not something that I've ever come across before I mean I get it People feel an affinity with non-human objects and beings all the time. Think of all the guys who named their cars. Well, I had tried to, I guess you would say, have sex with Rainbow Birch in whatever way a child can have sex with a tree <laughs> or human can have sex with a tree. And I mean, at that point in my sexuality as a child, I was already having orgasms and I was having orgasms by rubbing myself on other objects. Like I had a four poster bed, like a canopy bed. And that was like my go-to orgasmic sex toy was this four poster bed that I had and it worked. And I was about it and I met this tree and I had these feelings for this tree. And I thought, what, a, what if I like rub on this tree? Will that create the same thing? I guess like that sexual urge came almost from just like knowing that I could have this really good feeling, but this thing is like a very similar set up to the other thing that allows me to be orgasmic and so I tried that with rainbow birch I remember feeling a kind of shame when I did that afterwards and I don't know if it was a shame of like doing something to someone that I thought of as like a is a living entity like without its consent you know like looking back on it, I'm like, why did I feel so ashamed of that? Maybe part of me was like afraid someone was watching. I mean, I was like raised Christian. So maybe there was like a fear of like something was watching me do the bad thing. Whatever it was, I remember trying that with Rainbow Birch and like kissing her and hugging her and rubbing on her. In many ways, 
Getting off with a plant is something that isn't too difficult to get your head around. Just look at a Georgia O'Keeffe painting. But for our guest Genevieve, her relationship with Rainbow Birch was about more than just sex. There was something very like special and unique about me and this particular tree and whatever that relationship was. I don't think that's like ever been mimicked in my lifetime. But what I have discovered is a sensuality and interplay between myself and plants and recognizing their being and their consciousness and like recognizing that there's a relationship between us if I want there to be and a relationship that can encompass all of the things that happen in human relationships if I want there to be. But of course, like the one component that's missing, and I think this is really vital, where's consent and all of that? Because I can have these feelings and urges and desires to use plants or interact with plants in a certain way, but are they giving consent and are they agreeing to be a part of that exchange? That's, uh, I think, a big like question mark for me. When Genevieve grew up, she left Rainbow Birch behind. And like all hometown relationships, revisiting them when you're back in town brings a new set of complications. Years later, I was back at my parents' house over Christmas and I was creating some video art in the woods, just kind of doing these different videos. And one of the ones I was trying to create was tapping Rainbow Birch, which by tapping, I mean... um, My parents have a maple syrup grove on their land where you can tap the trees and gather the sap and then create maple syrup from it. And I wanted to create a video of tapping rainbow birch and having all of this kind of like glittery goo come out. So I was trying to create this video. It was really cold out. So I didn't have a lot of patience. Like it was extremely cold out. So I didn't have a a lot of patience to sit there and try to like properly tap this um, plastic tap into rainbow birch. And I was sort of rushed and like hurried about it. And I couldn't really get the video. I didn't get it how I wanted. And then I just ended with this like huge gash, like a huge wound in the tree that I like loved so much. And I was devastated by my own behavior. I was like, why did I just, why did I do that? Just to get like a video to feel good about my art and show people. It was just like a real ethical conflict I was having about going back to this tree that I loved and as an adult just being like and now I'm gonna tap you (laughs) like it felt very bad it felt very like rapey and yucky and I felt pretty guilty about it which I know sounds probably crazy it's like (laughs) look it's a tree like we do cut trees down all the time whatever but this is like a tree that holds symbolic significance in my development as like a child as an adult and also just like metaphorically in like the work that I'm doing, like this idea of tapping and using and like molding and shaping and squeezing nature to get what you want out of it. It was something that like really didn't sit well with me. Winding forwards a bit, Genevieve's sexuality is pretty much informed by her first time experience with Rainbow Birch. By the way, according to Amanda Morgan from the UNLV School of Community Health Sciences, ecosexuality is a pretty broad church. It includes anything from using sustainable sex products to masturbating under a waterfall. Ecosexuality has like become a part of my adult sexuality. And for me, that means sort of getting, I don't know if turned on is the word, but let's say turned on in like the hippie sense, like getting like excited about jazz and like intellectually or emotionally, spiritually excited about this idea of incorporating 
plants or the aesthetics of plants into my sex life and kind of like going through the like the intellectual mathematics to get there to take all of these like BDSM concepts kinks tools and then find a way to sort of flip the script on them and make them something that exists in nature that to me is like sort of how it's expressed best expressed for me now like an example is like if I was to do a BDSM scene in the eco-fetishist style, it's kind of about just like code switching every little part of that scene. And instead of using slave, which is um, like a word I guess I would never use, never use in BDSM personally for myself, I'll say sapling. And instead of being the master, I'm the gardener or the master gardener. And that just like that in itself like changes the entire dynamic of what a BDSM scene is about, can look like, what it means, and how it plays out. So if I have my sapling and I'm going to plant them in the soil, I'm going to take care of them. I'm going to tend them. I'm going to prune them when pruning needs to happen. And I'm going to tie them to a stake if they need to stay up or whatever. There's just, it's kind of just like flipping the whole narrative to just like work around this idea of how does a plant exist? How do you take care of a plant? What does it mean to manipulate and mold a plant? And how would that play out if you were pretending to be a plant with a partner? That's how eco-fetishism is taking shape in my mind. Genevieve has taken her love of nature to another level and really used it to experiment with her sexuality. She's even coined the term sacred sadism as a way to define her and her husband's approach to sex and BDSM. And it's also the name of their sex toy line. I have found that for my own sexuality... Finding sacred sadism as an inroad to BDSM has like greatly influenced my sexuality. It's made my sex life better. I've been able to explore and embody roles and positions. I don't mean sexual positions, <laughs> not like Kama Sutra, just like uh, roles in sex that I had wanted to explore for so long, but had found no other way except now through BDSM. And an honesty and openness, uh, communication styles that I'd never found in any other partnerships that I found through my partnership with my husband, who I'm in a BDSM relationship with, and have just been able to like, because of sacred sadism, find my way to a sexuality that's so much more open and expansive than I ever had before. Trying to create this world of eco-fetishism or sacred sadism is like, how can we invent something new it's so familiar, but it's so fresh at the same time. Like everyone has had an experience with a plant in their lifetime, I'm going to assume, you know, everyone can relate to this idea of a plant. And maybe not everyone's taking care of a plant, but you, you get it, it's a plant. And then that's a concept that I think is not that loaded for that many people. There's a deep potential for healing and growth and consciousness expansion in BDSM. But I felt like what exists yeah, it, it has it has too many codified meanings. And I needed to create something that that was a little fresher or the meanings, I don't know, just made sense for me. And for me, this idea of sort of like imposing upon or interacting with and being interdependent with nature makes so much more sense. And it hits like such a deeper place to me personally than other types of BDSM play have or can. Also, I want to say the thing about leather, goth, whatever the BDSM that exists, that's a genuine sexuality to those people and the people who embrace it. And I'm not knocking that at all. Just talking about finding what works for you 
and embodying it to the best of your ability and to the extent that you feel comfortable, you know. It's nice to hear from a guest who had such a life-defining first-time experience. Ecosexuality is a new idea for most of us, but actually it makes a lot of sense. If the earth is in crisis, maybe it would help if we started treating it more like a romantic partner rather than our playground. And that starts with respecting its boundaries. For our guest Genevieve, her first time really was just the beginning. I think looking back to Rainbow Birch, I feel so grateful that I had that experience because I think an experience like that meant that later when I saw that term ecosexual, something clicked in me when it said people who like to have sex with trees. And I was able to be like, oh, I, re- I relate to that. I had that experience. Huh, maybe there's something here, you know? I think the thing that I I think the most about is that mix of guilt and shame of the lack of consent that was there. And it's something that I still think a lot about. Because when I think about eco-fetishism, I think about play between consenting adults. And when I think about ecosexuality, I think about play between a human being and another life form, and neither of them speak exactly the same language. So there's no consent there. And I guess to me, that is perhaps another example of humans asserting their dominance over nature when I really believe it's an interdependent system. And I'm not saying it's bad to like, you know, go roll in the grass. The grass doesn't mind that you like roll in the grass. But I think that there's something like to examine there too, of just like being aware of the way that we affect our surroundings and how much dominance or control are you trying to assert over natural life and other living beings. Like, I don't think it's bad that I humped that tree, you know, or I do still feel like sad that I tapped the tree and made the gouge this big hole in it or whatever. But at the end of the day, that's also like a dynamic being that knows how to heal itself and keep going. And it's like not a big deal, probably at the end of the day. I guess that's like the the little difference that I see between like my ecosexual experience with the tree and what I'm doing now with ecofetishism is I'm like embodying an experience with other consenting, sentient human beings who can say, yes, I really want this or no, I really don't. And I guess I just feel a little better about that, I would say, for myself. Thanks for listening to My First Time, a podcast from Broadly. My name is Zing Sing, and I'm the UK editor at Broadly. This episode was produced by Sam Bonham. If you're into what we're doing, please rate and subscribe on wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, and be sure to check out the article on Broadly featuring Genevieve. See you next week for episode two. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi. 
This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. 